0: Good morning everyone, I'm Mel And I'm Pippa, we're the creators and editors of EarthRights, the podcast and platform that focuses on the connection between human rights and environmental issues Just a quick message before we begin,
1: the views and research presented on this podcast are either our own or referenced on our website www.earthrights.co.uk. We generally always record a few weeks ahead of release, so some facts or situations may have changed during this time.
0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 5 of Earthrights. Today we're going to be talking to sustainability consultant Curtis McKeever about the ways in which businesses can become more sustainable and some of the challenges that they face in achieving this. Curtis has a background in mechanical engineering and has always been interested in energy in the environment. He now works as a sustainability consultant at Anthesis, currently working on the data analytics side of things. He helps organisations and companies to understand the impact of their operations while also setting targets that align with the latest climate science.
1: So, we we in this episode we obviously want to be talking um, about sustainability, and you have a a big wealth of knowledge of of how that works in the sort of practical sense. Um, but for listeners, I think this this word can be quite misleading and there's a lot of misconceptions surrounding it. Surrounding it. And I think it will be good to clarify um, what sustainability actually, actually means. So just by definition, um, sustainability means to meet business needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs this basically means no exploitation of natural social or economic resources perhaps Curtis you can elaborate a bit more
2: um yeah totally I mean my definition I guess in my head is quite similar to that you know for me it's kind of being in a sustainable society will be allowing society to thrive in a way that's fair to all um and you know we don't over exploit the planet we living within the means of our planet um from a, an environmental point of view but also from a social point of view so making sure you know we're able to f- thrive in a way that's fair to the ecosystems that we're cohabiting with but also the people that are on this planet
0: so what's kind of the difference between corporate sustainability and corporate responsibility
2: that's a very good question i mean they're quite similar uh I would say a corporation has a responsibility to be sustainable (laughs) Um, and it's about where corporations fit into that term sustainability. So a lot of companies have what's called a CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility Strategy, um, which is basically just how you would manage a business that, in order to positively contribute to society and also to minimize environmental impacts
1: is that not quite difficult to think about people as well as make profits
2: yeah i mean it completely depends on the nature of the business you know if you're a big pharmaceutical or fast-moving consumer goods company and you make uh soap or antibacterial liquids i guess you're you know you could have a a purpose which is to make the world a healthier world right and you're Mm. and you're balancing that against your environmental impacts which aren't insignificant so it is a kind of a balancing act and you know historically companies have been quite one-dimensional in that profit uh, above all else and I think nowadays people and companies are really trying to align these two sometimes conflicting issues about what you know their prosperity against how they fit into the wider world but these days I think those kind of those two strategies are very much uh, becoming aligned.
0: Mm. Yeah because I think that's interesting because like in the kind of climate conversation there's a lot of discussion about like can we defeat climate change in quotation marks in a capitalist society which depends on like growth so yeah do you think it's possible to have both? business growth and sustainability or do you think we kind of need to completely change the model which society is based?
2: I think there's definitely a massive system change that is needed in order for us to make the changes that we need to make. I think it kind of comes down to how you define like this term success and historically you know governments and companies have talked about kind of growth um, you know always you know rate our economy on how much growth there 's been this sh- in the last year, and personally i don 't think that 's the right sort of term to use. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a limit to how much our economy can grow, and one of the problems with that term is it doesn 't take into account any of the resources that you use to grow, right so you could mm-hmm. grow your economy by ten percent, but you 've depleted the resources in your country by. and sometimes it's not in your country right it's in countries and other sides and on the other side of the world so you know there is there is scope for this change to happen but I think the way we judge prosperity and the way we judge success kind of needs to change a little bit Mm -hmm.
0: definitely I I read like like, a really (laughs) fascinating article in the National Geographic and I actually like wrote down a line from it and it's from um, a book by Kate Rower, who wrote a book called Donor Economics, and it's like, the point isn't that all growth is bad. Some countries still clearly need much more of it, while others don't. The point is that growth shouldn't be the point. And I was like, yes, that says it exactly how I wish I could have said it myself. Like, I mean, it's not fair for us in the UK to sit back and say other countries shouldn't have the opportunity to grow and develop, but that shouldn't be the marker of success. We should measure success in other ways. And as you say, that should be in the parameters of nature. Yeah,
2: totally. I mean, I've read that book and it's great. I'd recommend it to anyone. (laughs) And I think her model of, you know, a donut really does encapsulate what we need to do. Like, it basically says you know, and forgive me if I'm paraphrasing or getting this slightly wrong, but it basically says, you know, we have certain needs as as humankind and also as, you know, environment has certain needs and that kind of fits into the bottom of the donut. And then the top is the kind of the limit that our planet can the sort of threshold that our planet can sustain us. And, you know, we've got to live somewhere in an equitable society where people do get a chance and people do have the resources that they need But at the same time, we can't overshoot and go past what our planet can cope with, I guess.
0: Mm, Yeah. Um,
2: And, you know, she goes on to really sort of distill that into sort of seven different ways that um, we can manage, you know, we can manage that change. And yeah, for anyone interested in this pod and anyone that's interested in sustainability and sort of system change. Yeah, totally should read that book.
0: Mm. Yeah, like in that article i don't know if, if like the author of it kind of took ideas from the donor economics book but kind of talks about how like this is ingrained from the very beginning in like the Bible mm. with the, the word like a man should have dominion over nature and it's from the beginning our society is based on a misunderstanding of that word because Dominion doesn't mean like dominance it means uh, use things to our benefit but not destroy them and then it goes on to say that then there was kind of the word jesus GDP was created, like suddenly had a word that countries and across the world could like measure their growth after the war, World War II, it became like that was what was like the measure of a good politician.
1: And on this basis, we're thinking about the
0: way that us humans are driven and
1: our success is driven. Um, And Curtis, do you think that the performance criteria measuring the success of businesses, do you think these are good? And do you think these have changed to be more green and socially responsible?
2: I guess it's interesting in the context of, you know, companies in the corporate world is that and I, I don't necessarily think this has changed in the sense that a primary objective for any company is still to be, you know, financially viable. But what is changing is like what is required in order to be financially viable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the moment, and this really, really evident through, you know, through coronavirus and you know the bounce back in the in the different markets. Through that is, you know, industri- investor demands and investor confidence as well as, you know, consumer behavior is really, really shaping how these big companies operate. So in one sense, you know, the the end goal hasn't changed because, you know, companies are doing this, making these changes in order to carry on being profitable, but they are making the change. Um, And I think, you know, it's our job as sustainability consultants to help them make that change. And I think... You know, it's really easy to overlook the importance that, you know, like environmentally conscious consumers and also investors have on these big companies. Um, I think, you know, if you look at, you know, plastics in supermarkets, it's a completely different world now than what it was five years ago. And, you know, a lot of that is down to, you know, public opinion. People are, are so much more aware of plastic in the oceans. And that has caused a big change in the way, you know, our industries are operating. Um, I think the problem with carbon is that it's, it's slightly more abstract, right? You can't see carbon in the atmosphere. So, and people do understand that it's a thing, but it's maybe less in everyone's faces every day. So that's the challenge to in from a sort of changing, you know, consumer behaviors in that respect.
0: And it's like it's easy as a consumer to think, okay, so we all need to reduce our emissions, but it's like impossible, really, because of the way things have been built around us. So like we're so reliant on supermarkets, you know, where the food is shipped from different countries, all these different millions of ways that we like have an impact on kind of the climate crisis needs to be consumer pressure, but also like changes in businesses, because there's a limit to what consumers can achieve, even with the best interest.
2: I think, you know, it's definitely an education piece, right? At the moment, I think there's a massive onus on the consumer to know what's best. You know, when you go into a supermarket, it's really difficult whether to know whether you're better getting these tomatoes or these runner beans because, you know, the information isn't there. And even mm-hmm. as a sustainability consultant, these things are really difficult to work out. And one of the challenges for me that needs to be overcome is kind of distilling this information this science down to a way that consumers can absorb it and can understand it and can make you know they're not everyone's going to make the correct decision every time but at least people should be able to know that the decision that they're making is having an impact Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah the ability to make an informed decision is like that's what's like needed so and like when people do have a choice I'm sure like I'm sure there's loads of research that shows that like most people choose the more environmentally friendly option. Cause it's like, you know, it's kind of an easy choice to make, but yeah, if you don't have that information, then you, know, yeah. you don't know.
2: It's really apparent, you know, the conversation has kind of shifted from what do we need to do is like, what can we do? Because they know, companies know that, you know, offering these sustainable options or doing things in a more sustainable way is valuable to them, you know? And I think, People shouldn't underestimate the importance of you know consumer trends and consumer behaviors when it comes to these things and I agree that you know that might not necessarily solve the wider problem of you know fast fashion or um, our sort of consumerist society but it's a great stepping stone in order for us to be able to get to a place where people can make these sustainable choices and Hopefully, you know it will mean that the world's a better place for it
0: mm. yeah. so how can like sustainability be brought into business plans like
2: so I guess it's it's quite a big thing right it's a, there's a lot of different elements of sustainability um and there's a lot of different stakeholders involved and there's also a lot of kind of conflicting issues, so it needs to be done in a measured way and um what we would suggest is to split the problem into chunks. Like you're not going to be able to solve this that kind of thing, or you're not going to be able to bring out a new business strategy with sustainability embedded in it overnight. Um, what we would do is we would start by kind of going through the data analysis, which is where I work. So basic helping, as I've said, you know, helping organizations to understand the impacts of their current operations and then working out in terms of like the climate science and in terms of the, the latest policy, what levels it would need to be at in order for us to you know, live within a... So the way that the science-based targets initiative split it up is either a, so a world where there's well below two degrees of warming, which is what the IPCC have said that's what's required, or that's the bare minimum, Of what's required in order for us to sort of sustain the ecosystems in our planet. So, you know, what levels of business and emissions are possible? And then how does that apply to the particular company that we're looking at? Um, And then from there, we'll sort of look at different solutions that what can this company do to get their emissions to a level where that is required? And, you know, some of these are kind of technology based. Often, you know, they're kind of culture, innovation-based. Um, they can be around management. For instance, one could be putting an internal price of carbon on all the different projects. So, mm. you know, if, if, or if you're going to go with this option, you need to understand the carbon impact of you procuring this. Then, you know, that's kind of like a management high-level task. And I guess all of these are kind of high-level corporate actions but then you've also got a whole kind of behavior change within you know most big companies have um sort of big corporate head offices and then they have you know hundreds of thousands of people potentially working in factories or working in stores and it's like about how can you get that trickle down effect where behavior change needs to happen on site and you know my view is that things need to be incentivized you know people who are working in the factory needs to know that they are going to be, their objectives need to be based on saving energy, saving water, um, not purely on the number of units that they're going to produce. Um, So that's kind of all around the solutions. and And then you've got the implementation. So actually going to these places and implementing these solutions and tracking how they do as a result. So it is a long process.
1: Yeah, you've just reminded me, actually, uh, I was thinking the other day about how on building sites and on, under major construction projects, just how much waste um, yeah. there is. And I was then thinking, how on earth can we convince loads of builders to have one skip for unrecyclable waste and one skip for recyclable waste? it's not like it's impossible it's just starting as you say from a really a much higher level and bringing it down and and getting everyone on board with the with the idea
2: yeah i mean i think it starts off as a management issue i think one of the problems that a lot of organisations have is yeah getting that down to a, a site or yeah exactly like a construction site level and my view is that it's going to be unlikely for these things to happen unless, you know, contracts these construction contracts are based on builders or construction site workers splitting these waste streams up because people are going to go for the easiest option, especially when there's money involved uh, and I think it, you know, they're contract or their work needs to be contingent on separating out the waste and I think you know you can apply that to a lot of different situations yeah but I think until you bring that kind of high level management strategy down to a, a site level then it's then it's going to be there's always going to be a bit of a sort of disparity there
1: yeah and I guess laws and policies can help with that actually because you can force or enforce people doing doing things like waste partitioning because if there's an incentive, but also a, a monetary punishment on not not fulfilling these contractual terms, then that would also perhaps incentivize people doing stuff like more nationwide or, or something.
2: Yeah, and I think it's about a shared responsibility, right? I think, you know, the people who own these buildings, for example, need to take some responsibility for the waste that's being produced during the construction of the building um and i think you know it's it would be quite easy based on what i've just said you know it'd be quite easy to kind of put all of the responsibility and all of the onus on the construction company to sort this out because it's their problem but actually it's kind of everyone who's involved's problem uh and that kind of needs to be split out um It gets really complicated with uh, real estate and with property because there are so many different parties and stakeholders involved in that one particular sector, which is why, you know, sometimes these solutions can be more difficult to implement. But there needs to be a kind of framework and like you said, policies in place to enable that to happen. And I guess a multi-pronged approach is necessary.
0: So yeah, so what are the benefits of making a short-term or long-term plan?
2: Um, I guess, you know, a long-term plan is necessary because we need to make massive reductions in order to, you know, prevent the world from warming by more than 1.5 degrees um, from a carbon perspective. And, you know, the same is true for water and plastic. So in that sense, you know, it's important to have a long-term target because that's the scale of ambition that is necessary. And, you know, I know from working with companies, it's it's just not feasible to ask a company, you know, to have their carbon emissions overnight, right? It requires frameworks and it requires solutions to be worked through, often quite complicated solutions. And as I've said, it kind of takes time to embed these things in, company strategy so in that sense you know long-term targets are important because you know they give more scope for higher levels of ambition Um, but I think you know the other side of that is that you don't want to just be pushing everything out by 15 years I think you know we're in the decisive decade now where we're in a place where we understand the impacts that we're having on the environment and we have the technologies to do something about it so you know, we need to do something in the next 10 years. So it's balancing those two things. And I think, you know, one of the important things about short-term targets is that it's kind of how they feed into these long-term targets. So like one of the things that we do is we'll set, uh, you know, a a high-level target, which might last 10 years, but we kind of break that down into short-term or in in intermediate sort of term targets or what things people can do to reach that target. And I guess, you know, that's kind of where they are important is using both because you know short-term targets are really good for getting people engaged and getting people like building momentum it's important to try and do the analysis so that you've worked out you know if we do this this and this it will get us this far towards this long-term target and it's good to have sort of sight of both yeah
1: that's really interesting and it keeps the campaign going yeah,
2: yeah, it's just super important. Uh,
1: in that sense, are there some trends currently in the sustainability realm? And like, are there some businesses and local authorities working to, towards becoming more environmentally and socially conscious and responsible?
2: Yeah, well, I mean... As a on a high level, like it's becoming fashionable to be sustainable, and I think we're seeing more and more clients. That, you know, the conversation is definitely shifting from like what do we need to do to what can we do to be better, you know. And it's really noticeable and encouraging for us as consultants to hear that. And then you know, within sustainability, there's a ton of different uh, trends that people are working towards. So at the moment, uh, net zero is a really big thing. So um, you'd have heard that you know the government. UK has set a net zero by 2050 and then tons of different companies are setting, you know, net zero ambitions for various different emissions within that target and then also different timelines. And there are a lot of definitions for net zero. So it is a bit of a a sort of convoluted area, but in a simple way, it's balancing out the amount of impact that you're having on the environment against um, how you're removing carbon from the atmosphere yeah um, then also with local authorities in mind it's a, a vast number of local authorities in this country but something about 180 or 190 local authorities have have set climate emergencies and as part of that a lot of them are developing their first climate strategies so um, local authorities haven't really committed to any targets previously but now that's a, a definite trend um, you know in that sense as draws a lot of comparisons with the corporate world
1: I think that's quite, um, it's motivating, thinking that our local governments and councils see it as an important issue. I'm quite surprised, actually, that it's not, that it hasn't been stated before. If this is the first time they're really engaging with it, then I guess better late than never.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a tricky one. It's easy to look back and say, why haven't we done this sooner? Um, I think, you know, the important thing is that people a bit oh there is momentum building now for us to do it and so for instance the Bristol One City strategy is like one of the best climate strategies I've seen anywhere and it really does bring together a whole host of sort of social and environmental issues and explains it in a way that's kind of relatable to you know, everyday people in the city, and I think you know that's one of the key things about these strategies is like trying to, trying to sort of portray them or, um, give them a voice so that they reach everyday people. So, yeah, so it's good. It's great to see more more local authorities doing that.
1: Have you seen any trends or um, action within the supply chains? the modern slavery act in 2015 took a hard pull on supply to supply chains and making um, businesses and stuff look further than just the UK from where they were creating their product which, which I think is really important but I just wondered have, have you had any any look into that
2: yeah I mean that is a massive part of what I do and it is a huge trend right now so yeah supply chain is becoming more and more important and people are realizing that actually the vast majority of impact sits within your supply chain and often often that's the hardest one to measure because you know you have you don't have the data immediately in front of you but companies now are going that extra mile to get the data and you know judge their suppliers on their impact and basically say to their suppliers if you don't improve in this way and that way we're going to go with someone else and i think that in some ways is You know, going to drive more change than anything else is that, you know, we're talking about sort of can change happen in a capitalist society, and this is kind of one example of where it can really, really drive things forward because you know, country uh, companies from around the world have no choice but to be more sustainable because otherwise they'll simply not be viable. Mm.
0: Yeah, and like obviously all of these trends are amazing, but do you think that uh, like in your view that they're kind of making enough positive progress and like what would you like to see more of
2: so i think like as we've been saying you know a lot of companies are setting targets i think realizing and implementing these targets is the next step as we sort of said you know some of these targets are 10 years out so it's really really important for you know companies to start being successful and delivering these um, these strategies and actually sort of making changes on the ground. Um, I think I've seen some stats where it, w- it was said something like 95% of companies' sustainability, sustainability strategies aren't successful at the moment. And, you know, that's quite staggering to think, you know, we need to really turn that around. So, yeah, I've seen more engineering work more people getting on site implementing solutions um so that's what i'd want to see more of and i think from my own personal view is that i'd like to see more sort of pressure from government to make this essential so there's a couple of schemes at the moment where they're based mainly around reporting and identifying opportunities so you know a company will be required to state what its impacts are and it's good in that you know it's getting it's a first step and it's getting companies to work out what their impact is but the next step is really you know demanding companies to make these changes or you know finding them having a carbon tax these policies are needed in order for it all to come to fruition i guess
1: yeah kind of more hard-lined at the moment there's this kind of soft vague um almost manifesto making and research based stuff where where we're gathering all of these ideas and like it is gaining tract but we need people to be um forced to act now what has maybe come into the foreground a bit since the coronavirus that obviously we can react to things and and laws can be pushed through pretty pretty quickly and so i think it would be good to have the sustainability policy action that, we, that we've seen with, say, the coronavirus. The, the way that we've been talking about sustainability and and obviously, Curtis, your, your job is collecting all of this uh, really important data to feed to businesses and local authorities so that they can become more su- sustainable. So when it goes from your data um, set to to the manager of a company how do you or how do people actually advise um, businesses and local authorities on becoming more sustainable
2: you know I guess what you're talking about is how do you present this information you know the, the sort of work I do you know one element of that is sort of visualization of data so being able to help people see on graphs and you know other probably more exciting visualizations exactly what the impacts are But, you know, that's not appropriate for everyone. You know, it works well for, you know, decision makers. But, you know, probably what's more important and is a wider issue is how action plans and sustainability strategies are presented to everyday people. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a a huge opportunity there in terms of uh, the communications of how these things are presented. And I think, you know, there needs to be more outputs that are aimed at everyday people and not just aimed at people in the business world or, you know, directly to consumers. I think, you know, these citywide strategies and these government strategies need to be developed in a way that people can understand them. Because, you know, I've, I've read through the UK government's 2050 net zero plan. And, you know, for me as a sustainability consultant, it makes a lot of sense. But I can guarantee that not many of my friends would really understand The implications of what the government is suggesting and you know what really needs to change and I think there's it's such an important area that I don't necessarily think there's enough emphasis on at the moment.
1: Yeah apps on phones that a citizen can get involved with and and be really interactive with um, could help to
0: present these these issues. It is like, like you say with the net zero strategy, that it's like the average person probably, like we probably, couldn't even understand it all. So yeah, it's like making things like, easier to digest. <laughs> to conclude this episode, so Curtis, what does like Anthesis itself, as a business, kind of do for sustainability, including on like a day to day basis?
2: <laughs> That's a good question. So. I mean, we currently as with a lot of companies, we report against the u n sustainable development goals, so there's I think five or six that we every year we will judge ourselves based on these different criteria um, and I guess you know from a <laughs> it's quite a difficult it's a difficult one at the moment right because the way we've worked has changed so much, so we're all at home uh, so Right now, we're not necessarily engaged with, you know, trying to be as much as energy efficient in the office as possible. But um, you know, I'm sure we're all doing our part at <laughs> home. Uh, I think Amthesis have also de- oh, implemented a sustainable procurement policy. So I guess linking back to what we were talking about before, so you know, all of our providers and our suppliers will meet a certain sort of efficacy in order to work with us, um, and. You know, it's a really, really important thing. And then on top of that, um, something that's super important in our in our organization at the moment is diversity and inclusion. Um, I think, you know, I guess it's one of the more sort of social sides of sustainability, but you know, equally important. And, you know, we've got a massive issue in in sustainability at the moment that it's quite white, middle class people working in sustainability. And really, you know, this is something that everyone is invested in and you know it should be a solution where everyone can be involved in right so Mm. um, that's a big push at the moment
1: yeah i think that is extremely important because i can't imagine like how, how on earth is the world going to change and improve if not everyone's involved with it what would be the one takeaway that you'd like to give listeners from this episode um so like how how should listeners and other people interact with businesses, local authorities like how can we be more responsible?
2: You know the main thing I would say is never underestimate the impact of your choices um and that's not just to say you know if you eat beef you're a bad person it's more so that you understand that you know these companies and governments are driven by collective choices and it might seem like a small change for one person to you know start shopping in a more sustainable way but really it inspires change not just in yourself but also you know in your in your peers and your friends and I think you know it just opens up the conversation like we're having now where you shouldn't be afraid to talk about these things, even if you know you're slightly conscious about the impact that you're having. I think you should be able to have the conversation that you understand. You know that I'm I'm using this, and this is the way I'm living my life, and I know that it's having an impact. But you should be able to to have that conversation. And I, I you know, I, I'm really fortunate because you know in Bristol we're in a bit of a bubble, whereby you know a lot of our friends. We all have these discussions all the time, but, you know, for the wider sort of group of people, I just really, really encourage people to talk about sustainability, talk about the way you live your lives and talk about how that can inspire change.
1: Mm. And um, can you tell also listeners about the example that you gave me that really sort of hit home So you were talking to me the other day about tomatoes. You might go into the supermarket and buy tomatoes from England thinking that you're doing a great job not buying them from Spain. But what if the tomatoes in England are grown under UV light? Like, is that really any more sustainably produced? So I I liked that you were suggesting that perhaps we could have um, not just nutritional values on the back of packets, but we could also have sustainable values um obviously you said it would be difficult to work out how to do that, but I just thought that was a cool
2: idea. No, no It's something I've been thinking for a while. And, you know, it's something that I know companies have been thinking about for a while. I know, I think Tesco's had a pilot with the Carbon Trust maybe five or six years ago now where they tried to do it. I think it's just about setting out kind of a standard of trying to be able to compare things. And to a certain degree, you know, it does need to be accurate and everything needs to be judged on a fair on a fair playing field but I think you know the main benefit in my opinion would be being able to compare you know your tomatoes versus your beans or like whatever choice you're going to make you know you just want a comparison anyone who's more interested in that should uh, read a book called How Bad Are Bananas
0: cool I think I think that's it
2: yeah amazing oh, thank, thank you much. No, it's, it's okay. been great speaking to you both um, it's a pleasure to always.
0: If you are interested or concerned by any of the issues raised during this podcast, then please get in touch at contact at earthrights.co.uk or visit our website www.earthrights.co.uk. You can find full recordings of all of the episodes on most podcast platforms or on the Earthrights website, reference in the show notes. We host a blog on there too, as well as recommendations and other information. Please also join in on the journey by following our Twitter and Instagram account, at Earthrights underscore. If you would like to be
1: involved in an episode of the Earthrights podcast, then please also get in touch. This Earthrights podcast was hosted, produced and edited by us. Music and sounds were specially made for Earthrights by the Mowgli Wild Boys, who are currently recording a new LP at Circuit Studios in Nottingham. Please follow their Instagram and Facebook at MowgliWildBoys